thanks for listening to this episode of Prescription for Life. My name is Linda Gallick. I am the health and well-being consultant at Bell & Health. So thanks for joining us today. Today, I'm really excited to introduce another one of our Bell & experts. So today with me is our licensed behavior health therapist, Charles Latour. Hi, Charles. Hi, good morning, Linda. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing good, too. Thank you. So I was so fortunate to um, kind of in the beginning of all the, the COVID chaos, uh, Charles was our therapist that started doing segments for us that we call Mental Health Moments. So that's another podcast that you can listen to and, and um, subscribe to. But right away, uh, we had a pretty strong following for Charles. So really excited to have him here today because he always has some really great knowledge to share with all of us. So this month's uh, Lifesaver topic actually is smoke signals. And certainly there are folks out there that struggle with smoking and maybe wanna quit smoking. We know it's a very addictive habit, but then there's also people that don't necessarily have an addiction for smoking, but have an addiction to something else. So Charles, I guess I just kinda wanted to start out with the question of, you know, why is quitting smoking so difficult? Well, you're starting out with probably the most difficult question when it comes to habits, addictions. Um, in fact, the treatment world sometimes of addictions, if someone is stopping drinking or I've known people who describe quitting smoking as more difficult than heroin addiction. Um, and, you know, there's there's a, several reasons why and why your question is so great. The the main one is it's there's a physical addictive quality to it, right? There is nicotine, which is habit forming. And maybe it's even good to distinguish between habit and addiction, and we will as we go through, but the nicotine part makes it addictive, habit forming, which means there's a very, very strong physical component. The brain starts to react to getting that substance and it starts to like it. It starts to look forward to it. It starts to want it more. So there's a very, very strong biological, physiological, physical component, right? So secondly, it's legal. It is like other things that you might be trying to stop that are illegal, and but you could go and buy it anywhere. The availability of it is is uh, ubiquitous every anywhere you look. Uh, although there have been some places that have limited sales of it over the years, but by and large, you can get your gas and go in and get a carton or two of cigarettes, as I often see people do. Uh, if I'm getting gas and I'm paying for it, if I'm behind them, and it astounds me how expensive it is too. So, but you could go in and buy it. But the other thing that makes it is really, really difficult to break if for people who are trying to quit is the behavioral cueing related to it. The after coffee or with coffee, after dinner, during a break, going out at three o'clock, that's my smoke break. We habituate not only to the biological, physiological component, but we're habituating to the behavioral aspect of it as much as anything else. That need to just I have that tendency, the behavior, the habit of putting that in my hand and, and smoking it. So all of those things make it really, really difficult 
There's one other element to that, which is the social component that, hey, me and my friends go out for this break or me and my friends we right. go do this and they light one up. I'm going to light one up. So all of those things make it difficult. There's one other part to it, too, and then we'll you know transition a little bit. But the interesting thing about it is there's also an emotional connection related to it. When I feel down, you know, or stressed, I better have a cigarette. That will calm me down. So you add the, the, the people part, the behavioral part, the social part, and the emotional part, and you basically tick off all, every box of cues that you could think of that are likely to be part of a habit formation. All of those things make it easy to become habituated to smoking. Unfortunately, all of those things make it really difficult to quit smoking. Right, right, exactly. Just such a such a powerful, powerful uh, thing for people. And I even had um, at one point uh, I had a friend that was a nurse that worked in um, one of the the NICUs here in town, and she was saying that the nicotine babies were actually harder to calm down than the babies that were with other substances, whether it be heroin or meth or whatever, um, that the babies that were fussiest were those nicotine babies. So we just know how how tough that is. So, like I was saying earlier, not all, not everyone um, has smoking as a habit, but we all probably have some bad habits that we we would like to change. So, how do we begin to recognize if, if a habit that we have is is bad for us, Charles? Well, that's another really interesting question, and it's, it's sometimes we even don't, right? We that's part of the whole thing is the recognition piece. Sometimes we know it because a habit has started to work against us. Sometimes we have no idea. Sometimes it's a, a, a habituated process. I'll give you one example. My mother, the way my mother talks, she has to tell you, the, she has to kind of go through her day, right? So my father died of cancer a couple of years ago. She had a cancer scare and had to have a biopsy and was getting the the results on a particular day and was really worried asked if i would give her a call after she got the results just in case it was so and i didn't have much time i was just in between appointments just a quick call so i call i'm like hey how did everything go with your your cancer um, biopsy and she said well, you know, I got up this morning, I had my coffee, I had my oatmeal, and I'm like, wait, I just wanted to see the results of the, the, the biopsy, I just have a minute. She goes, oh, well, I got up this morning, I had my coffee, I had my toast, I had my, I'm like, no, just tell me the result. This is her habit of the way she talks. So we have speaking habits, I work with a lot of couples, and the thing I see more than anything else that negatively can impact, impact relationships is communication habits, the habit of interrupting, the habit of correcting, the habit of, no, that's not what happened, this is what happened. Arguing over mm, habitually, yes. I call them sometimes Groundhog Day arguments because they happen every day like the movie, and they, they just habituate to these things. But 
but getting into a little bit more. So those are things that are unfortunate, but they don't hurt anything, right? They can ultimately hurt your marriage, but sometimes nail biting, other things that we might do might not be too problematic. But then you get into other things like maybe procrastinating, maybe uh, pulling hair, it's different things that can be a habit. The way that we sometimes know that it's becoming what we would call the difference between a good habit and a bad habit, good habits tend to be helpful to us, right? We habituate to these good things. Their habits are formed to make our life easier. The brain craves efficiency and to make your life more simple, automatic. So when we get on automatic pilot, we don't even know we're doing some things, but we hope most of them are doing good for us, serving us well. The not so good ones can impact us physically, right? Like smoking can, going back to that as an example. Uh, nail biting, hair pulling, whatever we might do, spending, right? Mm. Time on the phone. Yeah. These things that start to impact us either from a physical standpoint, a psychological standpoint, a financial standpoint, or relationship standpoint. If we're spending too much time on the phone and not enough time on our, in our relationship, all of those things can start to get out on a roll and negatively affect us greatly. And that's how we can start to tell if this habit is serving us or doing us a great disservice. Yeah, I always think about like the effects of things and how I feel after I do something. So like, even for myself, you know, you mentioned the phone and I think about, you know, there are times I can be sitting there scrolling through my phone and I look up after that 15, 20 minutes and I think to myself, that did nothing for me. That didn't inspire me. I didn't learn anything new. And it's really a bad habit of just getting in there and continuing to scroll. And, and I think that's where that recognition comes in of like, hey, this just isn't, this just isn't good for me. I, should, I shouldn't be doing this. So no, what do you bingo. Think, bingo. Yeah. So what do you think, Charles, is the biggest myth about changing habits? There's a couple really, really prominent, unfortunate myths that are out there. And even if it isn't necessarily a myth, it's like a misguided um, conclusion that has been somewhat perpetuated out there. I, I think of it as the, the, the myth of um, that there's a set time period for a habit to be either formed or broken. And there used to be this, this uh, 21 day notion that it takes 21 days to make a habit, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of 28. And then it was what could happen in five days, whatever it is. But that's not necessarily all that accurate. And, and the reason there's, I think, still, unfortunately, people gravitate to that is a lot of treatment programs are based on 21 days that if you're there 21 days, you have enough to work on to then do the rest of the work. But there's a, a study done by uh, author, the first author, Lally, L-A-L-L-Y, and they studied and found out that there's great variability in this number thing and why it's somewhat myth-oriented. And that is that it 
people to change a habit were anywhere from five days to 254 days to make a habit stick. And the, the, the definition of that was um, in part that 85% of the time you're willing to do what the change is without a lot of mental or psychological anguish that it's, oh, I gotta go do this again. That it's more like I'm ready to go and do this. Yeah, that this is what I do. And um, that is, I think, one of the most prevailing myths out there. Um, one other one that I would highlight is that that habits are goal oriented. And what we know of habits is that is not so necessarily true either. And maybe we'll talk about that a little bit more when we talk about forming or breaking habits, but that's another one to be mindful of. But that set time period of it takes this long, not necessarily at all true because of the great personal variability. On top of that, it isn't just a personal variability, it's what the habit is, what you're trying to either break or create can be very have great variability too. Yeah, and I think, you know, we can't take it for granted either that just because we've had a habit for a really long time that it's always going to be that way either, whether it's good or bad, because of course, as we all know, life tends to, you know, throw us some curveballs uh, from yeah. time to time. And that can really, that can really mess up good habits and bad habits. I mean, when I think about when COVID was first starting, um, I was kind of in, in the habit of, of not eating a whole lot because I'd be so busy with everything during the day, but then I would be eating chips and guacamole at the end of the day. And mm -hmm. that's what I was kind of living on. And it was really, it was, it was a habit that I formed because of the circumstance that I was in. That's exact. That's such a great point. Linda. And that goes a little bit of what I was saying with the smoking is that there could be a time element right after this, right here. And when I get home, um, we, you know, this is when I do this, this is when I do this. Those timing elements can be really critical in how we form or try to break a habit. The awareness part around those is key. So then what, what should someone do to really start? You know, they've, they've identified a habit that they're not happy with. They want to break it. They want to change it. Where do they begin? They begin with either awareness of what is happening or getting feedback for awareness. But the guy who wrote a great, great book on this topic, um, the title of it is Power of Habits. And he, Pulitzer Prize winning uh, author, writer, really smart guy, he noticed something which was every day at three o'clock, back to that timing element, he worked in the New York Times building, would go up to the 14th floor and get a chocolate chip cookie. And, you know, do hang around, mingle, eat his cookie, go back to his desk. The next day, ah, three o'clock, kind of have a hankering for a chocolate chip cookie. Goes up, does it again, does it again. Over time, he realizes, wow, I put on like, I think he's jokingly says 8.7 pounds. <laughs> and he's like, why is this happening? And then he realized, wow, the chocolate chip cookie, three o'clock, I go up and do this. 
So he wanted to understand how this happened, why it was happening, and what he could do to break it. So at three o'clock one day, he got the cue, it's three o'clock, I want the chocolate chip cookie. Instead, he went outside and went for a walk, right? And he's like, well, I still want the chocolate chip cookie. The next day he went up to the 14th floor cafeteria, even though they had the great cookies that they have there, instead he got a candy bar, still did what he did, hung out. Another time he went up and didn't even get one, just talked to the people there. And what he realized was this, and in, in essence, this is the key. The three steps to a habit are one, the cue. The cue that sets us up, whether it's time or all those things that I've talked about, time, emotion, people, situation, behavior, and then the routine. What I do when I'm doing this, when I'm eating the, the chips and the guacamole, when I'm going for the cookie, when I'm going for the cigarette, when I'm going for the drink, whatever it might be. And then the third part, which can arguably be the strongest part, is the reward. What am I getting out of this? How satisfied am I? How happy am I? How fulfilled am I? And what he realized in his insight in looking at this was what he was really doing it for was the, the 10 minute conversation, the mingling, the hanging around. And he started like at three o'clock rather than going up to the 14th floor to see who was there in the cafeteria. He'd hook up with a coworker and just go over, talk for 10 minutes or whatever, just connect on something and then go back and was able to change that pattern. So what we know is you have to know the cues, you have to know the reward, and you have to be willing to substitute the routine, change the routine to something more effective. And why I was saying earlier, it doesn't have to be, you know, changing your goal I'm never going to eat another cookie. That might not work if you don't know these three things, what the cue is, what your routine is, and what the reward is. And you don't necessarily change the cues or the, the reward, you change the routine. And when you can do that effectively with that kind of awareness, insight, and understanding, then that can lead to the key thing, which is belief. You have to believe that you can do this. You have to believe that you want to do it. And with all of that put together, you are on the road to making a positive change, hopefully breaking a habit or creating a new one, one that serves you better rather than that is a disservice to you. Very helpful, Charles. Thanks for going through all of that with us. So, um, so here at Bell and Health, we do have licensed therapists, counselors that can work with you on habit breaking. That's certainly a resource that's available. Charles, any other resources that you would recommend for folks if they really have a habit they want to work on? Yeah, I would say just um, you don't have to go to a clinician to break a habit. Even reading that book I mentioned, the author is Charles Duhigg, D-U-H-I-G-G, -G, The Power of Habits. There's another great author, his name is James Clear, C-L-E-A-R, uh, wrote a book, Atomic Habits. There's a great website called Habitify, H-A-B-I-T-F-Y. Um, things like that can be great for you. Your phone can help you recognize, monitor for yourself, do some, your, your own data, your hypothesizing, 
what you are seeing and maybe even start what I describe as a, a aggregate process. You know, if you think about the Green Bay Packers year, they won 13 games this year, right? Mm -hmm. um, but they only won each game at a time. They had one win, oh. then another win, then another win. So in your own mind, create something that is starting really small and getting these mini wins. We call them keystone uh, habits. They're habits that are so critical and foundational that they have a ripple effect the more they go on. Um, and starting something can add that. Um, I recently started this uh, green drink. Uh, it's a green juice. And there's three elements of habit um, progression. I call it compounding, rippling, and cascading effect. So it's like if I do this one thing, maybe I, I hydrate better. If I hydrate better, I might eat better. If I eat better, I might do this better. If I might, so there's rippling, cascading, and compounding effect for things that we do. And James Clear calls that the 1% rule. That these 1% changes, if you think of 1% each day, that totals up much greater than the one. So those type of things can be very helpful and each of these resources can help you learn more and understand more about it. But at the end of the day, the key of everything regarding habit is this. You are what you repeatedly do as Aristotle taught us years ago. And the difference between the who you want to be and who you are is in what you repeatedly do. So I hope anybody who listens to this can take that into account in whatever changes they want to make, that this will be helpful to them getting to the you that you want to be. Perfect. Great information today, Charles. Thank you so much. I think all of us probably have a habit or two that we're going to examine because we listen to this today and, and start to take those steps to, to forming something better. So thanks for being with us, Charles. We really appreciate your time. Um, for our audience, thanks for being with us today. Please like, subscribe, and share this podcast. Um, we'd love to get more listeners. And uh, until next time, have a good day. Thanks, everyone.